0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Ozban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Shkalim, daf Chet. In good Talking Talmud fashion, I'm going to start on the bottom of daf Zion. We have a great <laughs> Mishnah here um, that is going to give us a little bit more uh, or we'll fill in more of the details of what happens to the Shkalim when they get to Yerushalayim. And the Mishnah reads as follows Bishloshap Prakim Bashana Tormim Etalishka. So this was this idea that I mentioned before of the termim et halishka. There's three times during the year that they would withdraw the shkalim from the the lishka. Literally means the chamber, but this means you know sort of from the treasury. The uh, frosh pesach when it's halfway to Pesach, the frosh tzeret when it's halfway to Shabuot, the frosh haChag when it's halfway to the festival of Sukkot. So what does uh, frosh mean? So the Gemara will explain, but it basically means if you assume that the month before any of those holidays or sort of the 30 days before that holiday, so it's halfway through. So it's 15 days before those holidays. Behem, Granot Shell, Master Behema, these are also the designated dates for the separation of Master behema. So Master behema. just to fill in a little bit, is that every 10 animals that somebody has of sheep and goats born to your herd. You have to give a tenth of it. That's what maser behema is. So, if you have ten sheep born, one of those sheep has to be maser behema. And this was basically a way that you know the um, so and and what would happen with these animals is they were basically brought as korbanos in the Beit and then the meat would be eaten by the owner and his guests in Yerushalayim. So that's what maser behema is. Um, so. The part of what they have to figure out, and again, I'm not going to read this part of the Gemara, but you'll see it on the top, is how do you count where the animal counts? In other words, is it a calendar year? What date does it start from? In other words, how do you group 10 animals together? So that's that's what it's referring to here. Rabbi This is the view of Rabbi Akiva. Then we have a second opinion here, Ben-Azai Omer. Now Ben-Azai is specifically going to be talking about the times for Maser uh, Behema, the stream that right? One time that you would separate it would be the 29th of Adar, the Chad Sivan on the 1st of Sivan, Ube stream that on the 29th of Ab. So the Gemara, and we will see this uh, talking, you know, this will appear again in other Gemaras, but essentially, Benazai disagrees with Rabbi Akiva on a few points. So the one is, is that he wants to have it be a fixed date when you do the Maser. And therefore, he says the 29th of Adar. Because Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva says this day of the 15th, how do you know when it's going to be 15 days before Pesach? Because that has to do with when Rosh Chodesh ends up being. And you may not know when the last day of Adar is actually going to be. Sometimes the last day will be twenty the 29th. Sometimes there will be a 30th day of Adar. So therefore, Ben Azai really thinks that it just should be a set date and it should just be the 29th day. Um, so that is one piece of what he disagrees with. Uh, in terms of the 15 days before Shavuot, so that was Rabbi Akiva's opinion. Again, Ben doesn't like the idea d- didn't like the idea uh, or this is what Imam to explained of setting the date that early because not many animals have already given birth during that period between Adar um, and Shavuot. So he sort of pushes it off a little bit later so it's the first of Sivan. So that sort of lops a, 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 a week off uh, a week later than Rabi Akiva uh, so that there would be more animals uh, that had already been born by the time Shavuot came. Um, and again, some of this is so that you had enough animals for all your needs during the Chagim itself because presumably you would take your master Behema up during the Shlosh Regalim that's why the master Baham is connected to these to these time periods. And then you would sacrifice it and eat it while you were there for chad And then finally, for the third one, again, the same idea of this 15 days before Sukkot um, and which could be the last day of Elul or the first day of Tishrei. So, again, Ben Azai didn't like the idea that it wasn't a fixed date. And so, therefore, he says the 29th of Ab. That, that was, uh, well, let me explain this a little bit differently. Let me back up a little bit. So for Revi Akiva, that third one is right before Sukkot. So Ben-Azai actually moves it up even a full month um, because it becomes very confusing. And you'll see this in the Gemara itself. If you have an animal that's born in Elol, right? um, What year does it actually uh, belong to? So in other words, if you have an animal that's born on the first of Elul, or the first of Tishrei, it becomes a little bit of confusing which year does the animal belong to. So there's two issues here. It's what year does the animal belong to, and at what point did you do the actual maser of the animal? And so those are two different discussion boards. And am I being clear here about this?
1: I think so. Okay.
0: So that's what I want to make the point of. I wasn't sure if I was totally clear. So a lot of the discussion that the Gemara is going to have is when do we count the year that we begin counting when we start saying that it's the new year for maser Bahama. And that's going to be the first of Tishrei. So he doesn't want to even get into making anything that has to do with Master with Elo because you'll see in the Gemara that the month of and when animals are born in Elo gets a little bit confusing. And the case that they give is, is let's say you have five animals born in Av, five animals born in Elo and then five animals born in Tishrei, where do you count your 10 from? So therefore he just wants to make it fixed. And you would give, you would sort of do your next Maser Behema on the 29th of Up. Now we have a third opinion here, Rabbi Lezev, Rabbi Shimonomrien. So these are going to be their dates for the Maser Behema. The Echad Benisan, Nisan, the first of Nisan, the Echad Vit Sivan, the first of Sivan, the Asrim Vatisha elo and the 29th of Elo So notice there's really a huge range of dates here. Um, for uh, When this would, when some of these dates would happen, Um, and um, the 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 first, uh, so in other words, some of them are first. Well, the Gemara will explain, or it gets explained in a different Gemara. It's really in B'choros. They explain a lot of this. That you know, for this opinion, it's they sort of wanted the connection to be there with Pesach. So that's why it is uh, the first of um, the first of of Pesach. Um, that the they agree with Ben-Azai about it being the first of Sivan. So again, that there would be sort there would be enough um, animals there. And then finally, they have this date of the 29th of Elul, which seems to be totally different, uh, so that the first of Tishrei um, is the new, because the first of Tishrei is the new year for any master Bahama So we're going to allow all those animals up till the 29th of Elul. So this is a very interesting discussion about that. And then finally, the Mishnah here says, Why does it say the 29th of Elul and not the first of Tishrei, which would seem more consistent with their dates, because they said the first of Nisan and the first of Sivan, because that's actually a Yom Tov. And you can't actually do any type of Maser on Yom Tov itself. So Therefore, they have to do the 29th of Elo. Therefore, they made it an earlier date. They didn't even want to worry about the 30th day of Elo in case somehow that ended up becoming uh, a, the first of Tishrei, right? Because that 30th day, some months have it and some months don't. So they made it the 29th. So so the Mishnah really starts off talking about when the three times of truma Talishka happened, the three times when they would take the truma the Shkallim from the Lishka, but it really gets into a discussion about when is the time of uh, Master Behema and presenting these three uh, different opinions here. I want to read one little section here on the Gemara that I thought just tells us something interesting about the Tanayim themselves. So the Gemara goes through explaining an opinion of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi Shimon and now the Gemara brings a to sort of explain Ben-Azai's opinion. Amar Ben-Azai, since the these say, meaning these say it this way, that the New Year, they're talking about what the date for Maser Behema is, is on the 1st of Elu, the Omrim Kah, and some say that it's that way, Well, really they say that the um, Maser Behema date is the 1st of Tishrei. Our Mishnah was holding the opinion that it was the 1st of Tishrei. Yehihuah Elulim bifnei atzman. Right. So this was the question. So what do you do with the animals that are born in Elol? So if we have this machlokas that some say it's all the animals born from the first of Elol till the end of the following av, and some say, no, the master period for all the animals. In other words, what groups of 10 do you count together is from the first of Tishrei till the end of the next Elol? So he says, you know what you should do? Just do master alone on the Elol animals. How would this be? Note lo av. Let's say you had five animals who were born in av, v'hamishab ElO and five in Va v'hamishab tishrei, and five in tishrei. A team. you can't combine any of them because it's not clear where the new year is. Is it the first of ElO? So it was the first of Elo, Those five for av, there's no master for them. They're not going to be joined with any animals. But if it's the first of tishrei, then those five from av and five from Elo would actually combine, and you would take ten. Now, again, if you don't count the yellow ones, then maybe, and you say it's really the first of yellow, then it's the five of Elo and the five of Tishrei that would count, and that's where you would get your 10. But if you have five born in Tishrei and five were born in Ab, meaning that first Tishrei, and then almost a year later, five were born in Av, those you actually would combine together um, for, um, you know, for, for one master, for one group of 10. So now the Gemara asks, Uben Azai, Mahriya al Dibrei Tamidav Ata." So, did Ben Azai come to mediate an opinion of his students? In other words, is he sort of saying that he was able to sort of reason this out uh, um, um, differently than anybody else could? Because this, what the language there of the brace is saying, you know, Eloamrim and Eloamrim, it's basically saying that Ben Azai ends up almost in a way being more Machmir because he couldn't figure out how to get this all to agree with all the different views of when the beginning of when the, be, the time period begins for the um, master behemoth. And this was confusing for them because many of these Tanayim, some of these Tanayim were actually Ben Azai's uh, students. So of course he should have been able to say how it is that you should actually uh, 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 figure this problem out. So now the gemara says Rabbi the Rabbi uh, Mishaya, B'Shem Rabbi Shmuel Bar Rabbi Yitzchak. So Rabbi Yermi and Rabbi Mishaya, they give the following explanation in the name of Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yitzchak. That Ben Azai was strict about this. Why? Because the fathers of the world, and really what he's saying there is those are the early Tanayim, they already disagreed about it. It wasn't about the fact that his um, students disagreed about it. What it had to do with about is that even the earlier Tanayim, the Tanaim who come before him, they had a disagreement. Um, they had a disagreement um, uh, about this. So, um, and who is that? Tana Rabbi Yona Kume Rabbi yermia. So who are these? So Rabbi Yona said in the name of Rabbi Yirmia, Rabbi Yishmael of Rabbi Akiva. Really, it's referring to Rabbi Yishmael Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara then goes on here and says, Zot merit." so this price says we explain it, Ben Azai Chaber vithalmir hayad de Rabbi Akiva. Ben Azai seems to be both a Chaber, both a colleague, but also a student of Rabbi Akiva, right? Because if we learn this, that the reason why uh, Ben Azai was so careful about and and took this extra stringency upon himself about the animals born in the month of Elul, even though he was really sort of a colleague of Rabbi Akiva, he considered Rabbi Akiva to be in the Avot Olam, right? Ech Temar, Rabbi. So if you want to say that Rabbi, that, that Rabbi Akiva basically was ben Azai's teacher, right, then we'll say, Is there a person who would ever say about his teacher, since these say this way and these say that way? So in other words, if we're going to say we conclude, the way to understand the reason why he would be strict is because he wanted to pay respect to the opinion of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Ishmael. Right, so therefore he was just, you know, he was not only just, uh, you know, these were sort of his teachers. The formulation of the Mishnah bothers them, where it says "ve'elu amru, ve'elu amru." How could he say that about Rabbi Akiva? He should have said "Rabbi." He should have said it in a much more reverential way. So I know I read a lot, and this might have been a little bit confusing. I just thought it's interesting to see where the Gemara tries to sort of unpack a lot of these relationships who's the Talmud who's the Rebbe and also that they call Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Akiva sort of the Avot Olam and I think the reason they do that is and we'll talk about this probably another time a little bit more at length Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Akiva remember had very different approaches to how one would sort of darshan out uh, the words itself of the Torah. And Rabbi Yishmael had sort of these Yud Gimel Midodi at these 13 very strict rules. And we know that Rabbi Akiva sort of took a lot of leeway, let's say. He was a very creative interpreter. So when we say Avot Olam, it's really more just, they're really two very distinctive schools of how to get to Midrash halacha. How do we really interpret the Pesukim to actually derive halacha? And then Ben Azai sort of gives Rabbi Akiva that respect. He's his he is his Talmud, because I think everyone recognized Rabbi Akiva for how innovative he was, but yet at the same time he was also his chaver. They really are of the same generation, and they did learn together. And the Gemara here is sort of trying to tease out all those different relationships and pay attention to that the, lang- the actual language of the Bresa and Mishnas are being used to read into, was this a chaver or was this a Talmud? And Again, I we've seen this many, many times. The 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 language of Tana the the languages, the words that are used for Tana'idic statements, it's not ever happenstance. They're used very specifically. And this is again an example of one of those close readings.
1: Okay. I'm gonna pause just for a minute before I pick up the the thread again in the next Mishnah. And just note that. You know, Shkelem for us is still a new Masachet in, in that we're only on Davchet, page 8. But also, we have discovered that these Dafim are actually quite long and actually quite rich. And um, so, just be aware of that. It's also flying by. We're already in the third parak and we're only on page 8. So, just to be aware of that, that this is one of the reasons that um, Yerdena, I appreciate how much you've done here inside because I feel like, this is the meat. This is the meat and the potatoes of this masachet. So now I'm going to take us to the next Mishnah, Aholach um, which is on Amid Aleph. So again, we're back in the temple tra- chamber pardon me, of the treasury, right? And in this chamber, there are baskets. There are three baskets, and this is where the funds are collected from, namely... These baskets are each measure, three sa'a, that's a volume measurement, and on each of the baskets are written respectively, alef bet gimel. gamma. So this I find to be fascinating, because right the, the idea is that these baskets have a nomenclature, right? There's some kind of indication of which is which, that's fine. And the mission's first claim is that it's alpha bet gimel. And then, of course, Rebbe Shemal's opinion, uh, I'm guessing that maybe he really knew, right? That's why he's correcting this, to say really what was written on these baskets was the Greek version of these same letters, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and we'll talk about this in a moment in the Gemara. And then the Mishnah goes on in, The way you collect, the the fund collector had to be careful he was not allowed to wear any of the following items. A garment that was somehow cuffed, and shoes, and sandals. And I'm trying to figure out what exactly was this person wearing on his feet. Um, not with tefillin, and not with a kamea kamea as an amulet. Because the concern is that perhaps somebody will say that the... Per- that the person who's the fund collector will himself become poor. And then people will say, oh, because he stole from the lishka and that's why he became poor. Right. Or alternatively, become rich and people say, oh, he's stealing from the lishka. Right. The idea is that what the person, how the person dresses, what kind of attire, you know, d- if your garment has cuffs, and there seems to be a machlok, if this is a matter of cuffed pants or cuffed uh, sleeves, right then perhaps you could sneak something in there that any one of these items has some possibility of, of hiding uh, funds away so that there could be an accusation of theft. But if the person dresses in such a way that none of these are even possible, that there was no way to even cast dispersions, then that's fair. Then that's really how the person must conduct himself. And we'll talk more also about this in terms of what does it mean to be above board. Um, and then lastly, in this Mishnah She'adam, Sarich right? The idea is that, of course, nobody should, you know, we're talking about somebody who's the the fund collector for the Beit HaMikdash. So presumably, let's just assume that, of course, such a person would not ever do any stealing. On the other hand, presumably, the same way that we say, you know, there could be a temptation, the temptation is just in the matter of handling any funds, right? The moment you've got money, whatever, we know this is human nature, right? So the idea is that this person has to you know, present always as above board. And the idea is the same way that he would present himself before Hashem, right? So too, he should present before people. And this is the, there's a verse here, the mission cites it, you should be clean, but it doesn't mean clean. It means blameless. It means completely innocent. Both in the eyes of God and in the, eye, the uh, and in the eyes of people, and of course, then you get the reward that's said in the book of Mishlei, which is that you'll find grace, right? Matzachin, grace, and seichel tov, which is like uh, good sense or common common sense or good smarts, both in the eyes of man and God. So, again, we have a long mission that's a little bit far-reaching, far-ranging, and it begins with some. You know very careful details of what was taking place within the Beta Macdash. I want to jump now a little bit further. We're going on Tammid Bet. We're going to ask just firstly about the Aleph Bet Gimel or Alpha Beta Gamma, right? Um, And I want to say, your Dana, you mentioned, I think yesterday, that we have learned enough of the Gemara to be able to refer back. So this Gemara takes us back to Hilchot Shabbat and carrying, and the question of, you know. What, what do you have in each of these baskets and is it acceptable? And it, it even goes further, um, as we'll see over the course of the death. Why are these indicators written on the baskets? And the idea is that you want to know which skeleton were collected first so that the treasurer would be able to first take from the first basket, right, and then take from the second and then take from the third. Um, now, my question is, you know, why does this matter in the sense that we know that money is fungible, right? The coins, one coin that has the same power, buying power as another coin, you know they're fundamentally interchangeable. And I don't know I don't yet have a good handle on why um, it matters what the order is. Elena, do you have a sense of this?
0: No, I don't have. That's a good question. I had not thought about that.
1: OK, so but the but it's very clear that this is, you know, a relevant, important thing. And I imagine that, you know, the gimel basket is filled because it's so last. It may not be as full, <coughs> excuse me, which is certainly possible. Um, But and then the question is, of course, you know, if you. You know, when you've got a measure there, the question is, can you ever move this basket? Can you move it on Shabbat? And the question of, you know, how. How full is it? What's in it? What's the measurement? Again, not to use the funds, not to use the funds on Shabbat, but can you even just move the basket for any, for any reason? Um, and then, okay, so then once we're talking about moving the basket on Shabbat, which is, <coughs> excuse me, we haven't read it all inside, but, but still, that's the discussion, so now the Gemara is going to jump and it's going to jump. And with its jump, I'm going to eat my words from, from the opening of Masachet Kalim, where I said, where I complained, as it were, that we were talking about Adar when we were really close to Pesach. And here I discover that for the past two days and also today, so that's three days in a row, right as we embark on Pesach, we're talking about Pesach, which is, you know, so perfect that I am clearly wrong about my complaint. Um, okay, so the you says gonna what you're going to carry. What are you going to carry that could be a problem? Now, what's you going to carry your wine for the sake of diluting um, diluting the cup, right? Meaning it's a thick, syrupy kind of wine and it's not meant to be drunk just as, as is. You're supposed to add water. The question is how much water and the question is how much wine. And this Gemara takes us back to Masachat Shabbat. I think Ayin I Vav Where we're talking about carrying, right? How? What is the measure of what you can carry that is going to be considered a significant amount for the sake of, again, for the sake of the violation of carrying on Shabbat? And the question is, you know, how much do you need to dilute your cup? And that amount of wine is going to be the key point. Except for this is, of course, going to be discussed and debated, and and different answers are given over the course of the daf. and so first, right, they talk about well, how big is the cup? And then once we get to how big is the cup, meaning how much wine might you need for, for a diluted cup? Well, you know, really the question is going to be how many cups? And Chia jumps us right into the Seder. The Arba Kosot Shamu Yeshnan Shil Yain If you're talking about the four cups of wine on, Le'el HaSeder, right, then, and then it says, well, let's add that together, and it comes to the amount of... A, of a revit. I was talking about a, the Italian wine, which might be a little bit stronger, but the point here is that the amount of, for the, the measurement for choosing how much um, carrying is too much carrying, right, is decided based on the amount of wine that you would need for Leil for the four cups, not just for one cup, um, which, of course, is very timely. Um and you know again it comes this the the discussion of this wine and what is the wine and how much is diluted and what if it's spiced wine and can you drink them un- can you drink them undiluted which i think is its own very interesting question takes up the bulk of the rest of the stuff um until we get to this very wonderful story at the very end um no i'm sorry i want to just say one more one more bit on the wine right when we're talking about the spiced wine and you could have spiced wine for the four cups, right? So the Gemara says, that wine that has been pasteurized, really, is the same or is similar to spiced wine. So the Gemara says, what does it mean? Can you have your? Can you fulfill your obligation with pasteurized wine, which, by the way, we do all the time nowadays. There's the answer, yes. The answer is yes. Yes. He says, Well, of course, Rabbi Yonah would say that you could, you know, that you could fulfill your obligation with a cooked wine, which apparently is, you know, potent, right? Because what would Rabbi Yonah do? He would drink the four cups of wine on Pesach, and then he would have to wrap his head with a bandage until Shavuot. Right? Meaning that's how bad the headache was of the of this um very heady wine that he had drunk. So the idea is, that, oh, sorry. I, so I've said this backwards. That the the yain of vushal is supposed to be a weaker wine, and he, of course, would support the idea that you could fulfill your obligation with a weaker wine because he had gone the heavy wine route and regretted it. Okay, and now we come to this story, and again, it's in this Palestinian Palestinian Aramaic, but the story is no less good, even if the language is a little bit more uh, difficult. Chamite chad matronita. Apu in the Hirin. So what happens? There's a matru- There is a whole series of Matronita stories. Matronita meaning there's a Roman noble woman, and we'll come to more of them as we go and perhaps even we saw, and maybe in Brachot, you, you'll remember better than I do where it was. Um, and this this Matronita saw uh, Raviona's face and it was shining. Now, Raviona, again, this is the same person who just had this heady wine. That's the, what the piece of the Gemara right before talked about Amra. And she says, Saba Saba, meaning you're an old man, old man, old man. One of these three following things must apply to you. Either you are drunk or you are a moneylender and you take rebeat, meaning you take um, interest. Why? Because apparently he <coughs> looks so. His, his face was shining. He looks so, I don't know what, content? I don't know, so rich, right? So the implication is, she says, so you must be taking interest in your money lending, which is why you look so, your face looks so comfortable or shiny, whatever, or else, and this is a fascinating a- accusation, or else, you raise pigs, meaning you raise pigs where you get large profits for little work. What does that mean? That it was fairly easy to raise pigs. You provide them with slops, I suppose, and that's it. And then you can eventually sell them. <coughs> of course, Arviona is having none of it. He cursed her and says, None of these things apply to me. So he says, rather, my face is shining because my learning, my Torah is with me all the time and it lights up my face. And he cites a passage a verse from uh, Kohelet, from Ecclesiastes, which says, the wisdom of a person will light up his face. So it'll make his face shine. So he says, quite literally, that is exactly what's happening. And then the Gemara continues with a comparable story this seems to have been a thing, shining faces, and and what does that mean? Rabbi Abao, ati le-Teveria, chamonei, de Rabbi Yochanan, apoi, so Rabbi Abao came to Teveria, which was in fact, the the Beit Midrash of Rabbi Yochanan, and Rabbi Yochanan saw the the, the Talmidim, sorry, talmide, Tamidoi de Rabbi Yochanan, apoi, nahorin, they saw that his face was shining, meaning the face of Rabbi Abao was shining. Amrun, Tamidim rabbi Yochanan, so they said to their Rebbe, Ashkach, Rabbi Abbao, Simei? They said, is, um they said, Rabbi Abbao has found a treasure, Ashkach, he has found a treasure. Atalagabe, Amarley, Ma'oraita chadata shamat? So when he came before him, Rabbi says to, Reb, to Rabbi Abbao, what new Ureita, what new Torah, chadata Khadash, The tof and the shin switch, chadata shamat, what did you hear? Amarley, tosefta atik, I heard this ancient tosefta and it was new to me, right? He's so excited. He's so excited his face is shining. And so this is what it means that when you, this, uh, the joy, the rejoicing that comes in learning new Torah is enough even to make a person's face shine and, you know, and immortalize really this verse that um, that says as much, that says that it can happen. Also, I just want to say that this, this bit at the very end, uh, where is this? at the very end of the Mishnah, right? That a person, that you, it says that you could, the same way that a person should appear, you know, upright and, and worthy before God is the same way that the person should appear guilt-free, you know, before human beings. I feel like there it is. That's exactly why those two stories of the Shining Face is the implementation, so to speak, um, Of of this piece of the Mishnah, right, where the idea that you could stand on your own two feet with pride and joy and and blamelessness, right, that's who they are. They are taking joy in in the learning. And even when they're accused, you know, they they don't have any problem, you know, being at one with who they are, namely before God.
0: Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and this wonderful story on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.